I loved the emotional rush of being scared. I still do, of course. I don't go out much to haunted houses, but I still love good, old-fashioned, scary stories. Listener discretion is advised. Our next case is out of Michigan, where a mother is accused of stabbing her three-year-old daughter to death. This is a horrific case. Police say the 22-year-old Justine Johnson told an investigator that the cartoon SpongeBob SquarePants was on the TV and that she heard voices through the television. And she claims that SpongeBob told her to kill her daughter, and if she didn't do it, then she, the mother, would be hurt herself. Really? I mean, and I know we're going to get into the seriousness of this, but, you know, sometimes people make allegations that they're watching incredibly violent things and that the violent material or content spurs them into violence. But we're talking about SpongeBob SquarePants, who lives in a pineapple under the sea. Do you you know what we're saying? This is a children's cartoon. It isn't violent at all. You know, I realize we're going to talk about hallucinations and, you know, possibly the influences of drugs and who knows what kind of mental illness. But to make that suggestion of something that is inherently the content is not violent at all, you know, because we see that all the time, don't we, Robert, that that the that the excuse will be, I was playing a violent video game, I was listening to violent music, it was always the violent content that made me do it. Right. That's what I went immediately to the video game analogy. But yeah, so it's definitely no one can say that they misinterpreted something from the cartoon or that made them numb to something. That's why they did this um, heinous act of violence. But, you know, like I said, in terms of she has a history of drug use um, and even though she's been found competent to stand trial, that doesn't mean that there can't be some defense raised as to either some mental illness or that she suffered or her capacity was diminished because of those drugs. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think everything played a role in this. No sane person would do this. And when I mean that, I don't mean it in a medical term. I just mean it. It's like, you know, mothers are not supposed to kill their children. You know, it's pretty basic. You're not supposed to harm your child. You must do everything in your power to protect your child, which is what always makes me so angry when a parent does something either against a child or a child does something against a parent who is elderly. It just undoes me. It really does. So the victim here is a little girl named Sutton Moser, and she had just turned three years old two days before the murder, okay? And the biggest thing in a child's life when they're three is their birthday party and their birthday cake you know it doesn't get any bigger than that in their world so it was the little girl's uncle the mother's brother who discovered the dead child Sutton had been stuffed into a trash bag like she is just a discarded piece of garbage here is a quick word from our sponsor we take this few seconds off to inform you our valued loyal listener about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, 
check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast for that real-life on-the-go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And apparently the child's foot was sticking out of the trash bag. The mother was not home when the girl's body was found, according to court records. So the murder happened in Escada Township, which is about 200 miles north of Detroit. And this happened in September, September 16th of 2021. But these details really have not come out until now because the court records have been released. And so that's why we really wanted to talk about this case. So Justine shared a home with her two brothers, one of them a minor, is the one who found the little girl in the black trash bag that was then in a blue tote bag that was outside in the back. In the back. And there was this tiny little human foot that was sticking out. Okay, so at least the brothers did the right thing. They called the police. Now, the mother was not in the house at the time. Um, are you, I think, you know, Robert, I think here the fact that one of the brothers is a minor is going to be key here. Not only did he, you know, find the child, help to call police, but he also witnessed his sister uh, abusing drugs that day. And he had tried to say something to her, but she just blew him off. And he is a minor. So, I mean, this poor kid can't possibly have responsibility for any of this. Oh, no, not at all. But when, when I heard you say that he plays a, a key part... It made me think in terms of it plays a key part in that that can be considered an aggravating factor in terms of when the prosecutor is seeking a particular sentence. The fact that a minor child had to witness this or witness any part of this, I think, just adds to the tragedy of it. Oh, I see what you're saying. The fact that and, you know, of course, Justine is claiming innocence here, but we will just say she's charged with this. So what you're saying is that Justine then exposed her younger brother to this level of violence, whether he witnessed the act or not. He apparently did witness her drug use and who knows what else was going on. So in a way, a crime has been committed against him in the way um, her actions um, occurred in his presence. You know, exactly. So even they don't charge um, crimes like um, child endangerment. So Mm -hmm. even if they don't charge her with that, that will definitely be used as an aggravating factor at sentencing, assuming it goes that far. Interesting. Okay. So according to court records, Sutton, the little girl, was stabbed in the chest, in the neck, in the abdomen. Her body was wrapped in a comforter, and then that comforter was put in the bag. Also in the bag, according to the court records, a bloody pair of jeans and a black sweater, which apparently belonged to the mother. And investigators believe that is what the mother was wearing when she killed the child. So how important is any of that potential evidence? Well, 
Judge has already ruled that she's competent for trial. And one of the things that can be used in a murder case to show premeditation, deliberation, can be not only to show what you did before the crime occurred, but to show what you did afterwards. So in terms of to be able to show that she's taking some time to sort of cover up her tracks, allegedly to try to get rid of the clothes that she had on, that's going to play a part in the state's theory in terms of how she premeditated this, she deliberated this heinous act and then carried it out and then tried to cover it up. Police say that they found bloodstains on the closet door, on the sofas, in the bedroom where they say is where the crime occurred. They say they also found three knives that were found in the bedroom. So let's talk about, as you just raised, what was going on in Justine's life before the murder and after the murder. So on the day of the murder, Justine was acting weird. She apparently was wandering around a graveyard and then passed out there for a while. Then she went to her own apartment, attempted to kill herself, uh, but then somehow she ends up killing her child. So a lot of this is unclear. And, you know, it may be unclear because sometimes when people act erratically, we cannot, we can't clarify that for you because it is not logical. These are not logical actions. So then the following morning, this is the morning after Sutton is killed, officers found Justine again, just wandering around. She told them that she blacked out and doesn't remember the killing. It's awfully convenient. It's awfully convenient. Could be true. Could not be true. Right. Only she can really say that. One way or another. But yeah, that's kind of a built-in excuse for her to try to distance herself from what happened. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Between the SpongeBob tail and then the, you know, the acting erratically, it's just, it's all too much. Okay. The So I want to get back to when she's apprehended by police. Justine Johnson was very calm and unemotional, say the arresting officers, and that she didn't wish to talk about the death of her daughter. Well, I bet not. Yeah, I bet that was just a little uncomfortable, wasn't it? Well, yeah, you want to distance yourself away, try to forget that if you can. So at the time of the killing, this is again all through court records, Justine was supposedly going through heroin withdrawals. No doubt that is very painful and very hard. And she stated that she had not slept in two weeks and she had admitted to doing cocaine on the day of the murder. That is just a bad combination. Yeah. And like I said, all that will will play in part um, in terms of that she tries to craft a defense. So it's not enough to absolve her completely, meaning that based on what we know thus far, it's not enough for the judge to instruct. Because some defenses that if if they are proven that you could be found not guilty of them. So that's not enough, in my opinion, in terms of a defense of where she could be found not guilty. But it could be enough of a defense of where she, if she went to trial and was convicted, she could be convicted of a lesser charge. Mm. And then getting back to that minor brother, her, her brother who's underage, who apparently saw her doing the cocaine, and then he confronted her and... um it has been relayed that she said to her brother, quote, mind your own effing business. Mm. 
So, I mean, again, here is a young person trying to do the right thing. And, um, you know, certainly not in a position of power to have overwhelmed her in any way. I mean, you know, this is a minor. I don't, we don't know how old this boy is. But at the end of the day, your older sister is in a bad way. You know, you do your best, but, you know, it could have ended up deadly for him as well. Right. Or they will look at it as that she had an opportunity to take a different path that her little brother came up and tried to stop her. And she didn't take advantage of that and went through with it anyway. Yeah. So Justine's been in prison since November without bond. Um, she has pleaded not guilty to one count of felony murder and not guilty to one count of first degree child abuse. The judge has determined her mentally fit to stand trial. So that's where we are with this case. I don't, I don't, you know, the fact that she is mentally fit, how do, you know, someone who's in such a drug-induced state, is there ever any leniency on that? And believe me, I'm not asking for it. In fact, I'm, I may throw the book at her. How dare you? You knew better. Someone tried to help you and stop you. Killing your child was not the answer, and SpongeBob didn't make you do it, lady. Right, and it can. We say, um, can there be any leniency? There, there can be. How much? So, um, not very much. For instance, will we say there's enough leniency and grace for her to have her charge reduced down so that she receives probation? No. Is there enough leniency or grace such that she wouldn't have to serve life in prison if she pled guilty? Certainly, I, I could see that. So she could. So this case proceeds in terms of she doesn't take the plea offer and proceeds to trial. Her drug use, her history would be something that I would expect her defense team to raise at trial. And it will be up to that jury to determine how much weight they want to give to that in terms of when what verdict they ultimately come down with. This case just turns my stomach. Really just turns my stomach, really. Yeah, those types of cases where it involves a a child death are never easy to deal with on either side. Never. Death at the hands of your mother? No. No. All right. Thank you for your comments on that one, Robert. Thank you. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime stories that you all are talking about on social media. Now, if you missed last week's episode my heart will be broken. However, if you did, you may not know that our own Michael has moved on to the world without crime. <laughs> he has left us and I we have that exists. And, uh, yes, where Owen is traveling to. He wishes it to be. <laughs> In fact, I'm thinking of joining uh, Owen. <laughs> in a crime-free world. But if you missed last week's episode, then um, you may not know that Owen Michael has left us and we have a new producer now, Will Updike from the great state of Montana. Will, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, So we got an interesting one for you this week. A burglar turned the tables, leaving $200 to his victims after he was caught inside their Santa Fe, New Mexico home. So apparently after breaking in through a window, he reportedly ate shrimp, drank beer and took a bath before his victims returned to find him standing in their home with a scoped AR-15 rifle. Now, he didn't take anything, and he felt embarrassed enough to leave his victims compensation for their troubles. But uh, let's see what the people had to say. 
Danielle says, this is the most American break-in I have ever heard of. <laughs> I, I guess that's a reference to our love of shrimp and beer and automatic rifles. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis said, burglar? No, visitor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steph said, he did that very backwards. Can he come over to my place next? Honestly, $200 as compensation for uh, some beer and some shrimp. I feel like maybe you're coming out uh, ahead there. Uh, I think there was a tip, in, right? There was a tip include 20%. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely some gratuity on that. Katrina said he turned a robbery into an Airbnb situation, which <laughs> yes, pretty close, cool. honestly. Uh, and Miriam said cheaper than a hotel was probably his thinking, which... I mean, depending on what city you're staying in, it might not be wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have personally had house guests who were worse than this. Uh, and they did not leave a $200 tip, although they didn't come in with an AR-15. So That you know of. <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> yeah, it's the gun that's going to hurt them the most. I say you might have a, something to argue in terms of, hey, I went there, I went to the wrong house. Um, I left money, but then when you bring in the gun into it and a assault rifle and pointing it at people, I think that'll be his ultimate downfall. But is it not a mitigating factor that he was clean and he took a bath? Come on now, Robert. Well, I, I, I would argue it and I've argued less um, before and probably argue less in the future. Um, but sometimes you just have to play the cards that you're dealt and that's all his attorneys are going to have. So we'll have to do that. <laughs> too funny i love it i love it ate shrimp left 200 bucks took a bath my kind of guy <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much will we'll see you next week absolutely see you then well that's our episode for this week this will conclude the episode thanks for tuning in if you like what you hear please leave a comment and subscribe thank you